Father, we thank you that every single word of that is true. That there is none like you. There is none that compares to you. And as you say in your word, you are God and you will not share your glory with another. Nor give our praise to carved idols. The praise that you alone deserve, Father. Because there is none like you. God, you are our God. And I pray right now we would earnestly seek you. We would be hungry to hear your word and eager and humble and dependent and reliant on you to come under it and to receive what your Holy Spirit would say to your church today. God, I pray you would find a people that are ready to say, here I am, Lord. Change me, help me, encourage me, restore me, refresh me, correct me. God, and from that you would do what only you can do to show your glory and your power in this place. Oh God, show us your glory. Show us your glory. Guard my mouth. Let every word that comes, oh God, be from you and for the building up of your church, the sanctifying of your people and for the salvation of those, Lord, that are here and have yet to call on your name. God, may it be so. Help. Help us, Lord. Continue to meet with us. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ and church. If you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, praise the Lord. What a wonderful time of worship. And uh, son, this Sunday is a little bittersweet for us as a church, as in um, after this message, uh, we will be concluding our series on Psalm 118 that we started three weeks ago. And it's been tremendous to see the work of the Lord in our lives through this um, series. And so on one sense, it's bittersweet, but on the other sense, uh, I'm pretty fired up for what's coming. And I hope you are too in the Lord's work among us. So this is the final message in our series called uh, His Steadfast Love Endures Forever. And the first week we looked at how God's love will endure for us as we seek him as our refuge, as we trust him in our trials. And then from the overflow of that week, we looked last week at God will deliver me. God will deliver us in the trials that we face as we earnestly seek him. And so this week is the summation of what the first 18 verses are all building towards. The final declaration, the capstone, if you will, of what this entire psalm is moving us towards in what it means to have, ready for this, you'll see it on the screen, God is my salvation. That is the declaration that the psalmist is making here, and we will see why in a moment. But we got to make sure first we're all on the same page, okay? You don't ever want to assume anything. When you hear the term salvation, loved ones, what comes to mind when you hear the term salvation? And by the way, if you do not have a Bible in front of you, put up your hands right now because our ushers are coming forward. We want to put one in your hands so that you can follow along. Just put it up nice and high. Our ushers are coming right up to the front. And it is Psalm 118, verses 19 to 29. God is my salvation. So what is salvation? When you think of that term, you hear it all the time. What does that mean to you? Well, simple, basic definition is this. You'll see it on the screen. Salvation is the source or means by which we are saved or delivered from harm. Salvation is the source or means by which we are saved or delivered from 
harm. Now think about that for a moment. You say, why is this even important? When we talk about God being our salvation, why is that even important? Well, here's the reason why this is important. Because we have a problem. You and I, every person in this room, every person who is in this world right now, we have a problem and we are in a battle, both Christians and non-Christians. You cannot escape this. It faces you every moment of your day from the time you get up to the time you go to bed. It's there. And we are engaging it. A daily battle of, here it is, ready? Seeking out salvation or deliverance in our trials in our day-to-day life, in things that can never give it. Our sinful flesh, the battle against sin, and its desire to enslave us to different saviors that can never deliver. Some, some areas that come to mind are, we're seeking out salvation or deliverance through money, through other people, through our job. If I just work harder, if I just get that next promotion, that next paycheck. We seek out salvation or deliverance through our possessions, maybe our marital status. If I can just get a spouse, then I'll be delivered from the trials, then I'll be delivered from the anxiety, the fear. Wrong. We seek out salvation through our anger. If I just get angry enough and make people afraid of me, then I won't have conflict and it will deliver me through the trials. If I just get impatient enough with my kids, that'll solve the problem because then they'll be afraid of mom and dad. We look at it as we go to food for our salvation, binge eating when we feel anxious or worried or fearful. We go to alcohol, drugs, pornography. Let me just ask you a question. What is it for you? What are you pursuing as the source of your deliverance or salvation day to day and in the trials that you face? See, what happens is this, loved ones. We end up building our lives upon these so-called saviors that we think will deliver us, but in the end, they only lead us to greater sorrow, disappointment, sin, and suffering because we're trying to use them for something they cannot deliver on because there is only one Savior who can deliver us, Jesus Christ. And it is here in our text that the people of Israel are faced with the realization of this same truth right here. This is what God has brought them to this point to declare. Now, just for those of you who are just joining us in the series, let's recall a little bit of our context. This is a psalm of thanksgiving that was written to celebrate God's steadfast love as people were coming up to Jerusalem. Picture this. They're coming up to Jerusalem after a great deliverance that God had given them from their enemies. We don't know what exactly was, but as we looked at the last two weeks, we know the Israelites were at the point of death. It wasn't an easy battle. And in this last section, we see the psalmist summing up what God has done and he's leading the people in making, get this, ready? The single greatest declaration that a person could ever make in their lives. Ready, ready? The single greatest declaration you or I could ever make in our lives and it is this, God is my salvation. We can declare a lot of things, yeah? 
That is the single greatest declaration that a person can make with their lives, hands down. And we'll see why. Because when that happens, everything changes. Everything changes. And here we see three essential truths that we must embrace if God is to be our salvation in our lives. Not just, okay, we have to understand this right out of the gate. Not just in our trials, loved ones. Yes, absolutely. But not just exclusively through the trial. We're talking about what it means to have God as our salvation in the day-to-day, the so-called mundane. Because when God is your salvation, guess what, loved ones? No more mundane. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Now, to honor the word of the Lord, let's stand as we read our text today. Psalm 118, verses 19 to 29, says this, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them, and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And everyone said together, for his steadfast love endures forever. Amen and amen. You may have a seat. Well, loved ones, first truth is this. When God is your salvation, here it is, you will recognize him as your foundation. When God is your salvation, you will recognize him as your foundation. Look at verses 19 to 22. Psalmist says, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Okay, let's get some... Uh, word breakdown here verse 19 where he says the gates of righteousness the Hebrew word for that the meaning of that is the gates of victory or deliverance the gates of justice and it's symbolized when he says open to me the gates of righteousness that means open to me the gates of deliverance and justice it symbolized the gateway to the temple ready where the presence of the Lord was because don't forget he goes on in verse 20 to say this is the gate of the Lord the gate of the righteous Righteousness is the gate of the Lord. These gates, when they were opened up, they symbolized where the presence of the Lord was. So if they were going to get to the temple in Jerusalem, those gates needed to be open. They would be in the presence of the Lord. That is the gate to the Lord. Amen? We clear? All right. He says this. The psalmist says he wants the gates to the temple open so that he and the people would be able to give thanks and praise the Lord for how he was delivered and has become their salvation. And so they could worship him because he was the source of that deliverance. 
Let's go to the house of the Lord. Let's go to the presence of the Lord to worship him as the source of our deliverance. And you see, he uses an interesting picture here. I love it. Verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Well, he uses the picture of the stone here. And what it means is the stone for building structures. Okay? So when you think of stone, it's not like a stone that you just kind of skip over the water or you throw in a sandbox or something. These are stones for building structures. And you'll see three different examples on there in a, right now, and I'll explain them in a moment. And he says, the stone that the builders rejected. Who's the builders? Who's the builders? Well, these were the powers of the world, the empires that were surrounding Israel. The ones who were not worshiping the one true God. The stone that the builders rejected. These are the empires that thought they were so strong in building themselves up on things that they thought were a sure foundation. But what we see is that they were rejecting the only sure foundation they could ever have because they were rejecting the cornerstone. They were rejecting the cornerstone. Now what does cornerstone mean? The term there used for cornerstone is this. It is the foundation stone. You'll see it here. It's the foundation stone, and it is the first stone that is set in the construction of a building's foundation. It's the first one that's set. And you can see from these pictures why. Because all other stones will be set in reference to that stone. They're lining every part of the rest of the building up to that cornerstone. Therefore, the position of, and stability of the entire structure is determined by it. That's why you see here, the cornerstone is the largest, most carefully constructed, and most stable stone in that building. Interesting fact there, that last picture there, you see the real-time picture. That is actually the cornerstone of the temple in Jerusalem. I used to live there and that's, you see it very clearly. You see how huge, massive that cornerstone is of the temple. All right. And so here though, what we see is this, he's using the symbol of God as the cornerstone or foundation of Israel. They've rejected the God of Israel, but yet he's the one who's now become the cornerstone because it's him that we received our deliverance from. He's the cornerstone. He was our foundation. And so the psalmist uses this construction metaphor to tell us that those who reject God, hear this today, those who reject God and try to build a foundation on anything else were in fact rejecting the very cornerstone itself and ultimately, here it is, here's the reality, simple truth, you have no foundation to stand on. You reject the cornerstone, you pull that stone out, that wall falls every time. It comes crumbling down real quick. It's not a good thing. Let's put it that way. And yet through this trial, see the confidence that the psalmist is declaring here. The stone that the builders rejected has become, look at that statement of confidence, it has become the cornerstone. Through the trial, God himself has become the cornerstone or foundation that the psalmist will stand on and put his full trust in from now on in his life. Again, that's not just a declaration for, I'll have God as my cornerstone when I'm in a trial. This is from now on, day to day, moment by moment, in the trial and not in it. God is my salvation and I'm going to align every part of my life with that. Because that's where the structure is secure. 
If I could sum up those first four verses, it would be like this. Ready? What you put first, loved ones, always orders the rest. I'm going to say it again so you can write it down. It's important. What you put first always orders the rest. You put yourself first. Your desires, your selfishness, your sin will order the rest of your life. And sin always has collateral damage. It never works in isolation. Ever. What you put first orders the rest. If you want to be strengthened by God, you must have in place the foundation of God. If you want to be strengthened in God, you must have in place the foundation of God, the cornerstone himself. And just as the cornerstone sets the foundation that determines the strength, direction, and the ability of the building to withstand the pressures or attack that come against it, in the Lord we have an unmovable, unshakable foundation that will never bottom out in God alone. Nothing else gives that. Nothing else can give that. No matter what this world tries to push at us to say it can, that is a lie. And through him, we receive the strength. Look at, look at this. Look what happens. The strength, wisdom, endurance, peace. Anyone here need peace today? Joy. Anyone here need joy today? And faith. Anyone need some faith today? I do. To build our lives upon him through his power at work in us as we seek to live our lives for his glory. Not just in the trial, but moment by moment in the day-to-day choices that you and I make. Does our life reflect God Almighty, Jesus Christ, as our cornerstone in how we speak in how we shepherd our children, and how we talk to our spouse. Let me ask you a question. Simple question, straight up from these first four verses. Has God become your foundation? Has God become your foundation for your life? Is he your cornerstone? And some of you may be here asking, Well, how do I even do that? What does that even look like? Well, I will tell you this. It's impossible to do on your own. It's impossible. You can't just white-knuckle it and say, okay, God, uh, you're first and I'm ready. You can't just leave here saying, okay, I'm putting God first now. It's not by being a good person. I was so struck this week when we spoke with someone and, and this person found out I was a pastor and she immediately recoiled and she's like, uh, I'm a good person, I'm a good person. Don't worry, I'm a good person. I'm like, hey, I'm Ray. It's not by being a good person that God becomes your foundation. It's not by your level of church attendance to try to earn some favor with him. It is not the success that you have at your job or how much money is in your bank account. Instead, loved ones, it must be a supernatural work of God himself. And here's the reality. You say, well, how can I do that? That's impossible. 
praise the Lord, we serve a God who can do the impossible. Amen? And God loves you so much that he made a way for him to be your foundation by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth and to die on the cross for your sins and mine and to be raised to life three days later, defeating the power of sin and death that enslaves you right now. And he says this in Acts 4, 11 and 12. You'll see it on the screen. This Jesus, God's only son, is the stone. This Jesus is the stone which has now become the cornerstone. And there is, here it is, there is salvation in no one else. Not in your money, not in your effort, not in the amount of Facebook friends you have, not in your job success, not in appeasing the culture that is pressing in. There is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That is where everything starts. That is the start of having God as the foundation that is unshakable. And if you say, okay, so that's if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your savior and have him as your foundation. But how about those who have? Those of us here. If you say God is your foundation, let me ask you a question. A couple things came to mind this week. Is he the one who you are aligning every part of your life to? Is he the one? Aaron, can you put those pictures of Cornerstone back up for a sec? Is he the one that you are aligning every part of your life up to? Do the thing, here, let's break it down a little more. What does that mean? Here it is. Do the things that matter to God matter to you? Do the things that matter to God matter to you? Ask yourself this question, loved ones, in this moment, right now, just ask yourself in this moment, does what matter to God matter to me and do my actions show it? In the hobbies I have, in how I spend my time, in what I'm looking at on the computer, in how I spend my money, in how I speak about people behind their backs, how I walk with integrity when no one's watching, Just think, ask yourself. See, it's so easy to say, yeah, God's my foundation, God's my foundation, but to live lives that don't resemble that in every part. And you say, well, wait a second, what are you calling me to live under some rock or something? Christians living under rocks. Just get in the real world. No, 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 no. Loved ones, hear this. I'm not calling you to live under a rock. I'm calling you to live in the freedom that Christ came to gave you from those things that are enslaving you. That's the reality. That's real freedom. On a firm foundation. Because here's the reality, loved ones. You can't compartmentalize God being your foundation. You can't do that. Just as the cornerstone will impact, you see here, every other part of the building, having God as your cornerstone should order every part of your life. This is godly order in your life. 
It orders how we disciple our kids. It orders how we lay down our lives for our spouse. It orders how we are men and women who are above reproach in the workplace. That's what it means to have God as our foundation. And we say, well, how do we align ourselves with the Lord? Real quick, it's daily through his word. Are we renewing our minds daily in our time? So many of us say God's our foundation, but we don't pick up our Bibles to know what that means. It means aligning ourselves daily through his word, aligning ourselves through constant prayer. Prayer is a declaration of our dependence on God. You're my foundation. If I don't have you, I'm done. That's the truth. Prayer is a declaration of that. How about this? Coming as the church together. Does what matter to God matter to you? Does making church a priority on Sunday mornings matter to you? Not for some attendance sheet, loved ones, but because he says, don't stop meeting together, but all the more encourage one another to good deeds. Listen, those good deeds are God's deeds. Does it matter to us? Are we aligning ourselves with that? Living in accountability, not in isolation, with one another. See, when loved ones, when we have God as our foundation and humbly, this takes humility, doesn't it? It takes humility. When we humbly submit to him in aligning every part of our lives with his desires and will for us, hey, here's the reality. Talk about freedom. We stand on a foundation that is secure and have a front row seat to seeing him work on our behalf. A front row seat in your marriage, with your kids, in your job, in that trial. And we can then rejoice confidently and recognize that it is the Lord at work and not ourselves. Look at, as the psalmist says this in 23, 24, he looks back knowing God's his foundation. Now he says, this is the Lord's doing. It's not mine. I can't do this. He says, this is the Lord's doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes. Godly order on a recognized foundation of God alone always leads to rejoicing. Always, always. This is the day the Lord, see there it is again, the Lord did it. The Lord has made, we will rejoice and be glad in it. A right recognition, you'll see it on the screen of God, always leads to genuine rejoicing in him. A right recognition leads to genuine rejoicing. When God is your salvation, you will recognize him as your foundation. And from that, you will now rely on him in your situation. Look at verse 25. You will rely on him in your situation. Verse 25. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Hear the urgency there? Hope I read it well enough for you to get the urgency. Save us, we pray, O Lord, O Lord. We pray, give us success. See, the word save there in the Hebrew means to deliver. Deliver us, we pray, O God. Get us through again, in the days to come, and and the word pray, notice how he repeats it twice? There's a reason for that, okay? There's a reason, of course. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. That, That term for prayer there is a term for urgent, earnest prayer for God to act now. He's like, save us, we pray, like right now. Okay, maybe you didn't hear me. Save us, we pray, O Lord, like now. Act now, we need you again now. In this moment, even after you delivered us, we need you more. 
We need you more. And this whole phrase here in verse 25, you know what's translated? You've probably heard this before. It's translated Hosanna, which means deliver us now. That's what it means. Hosanna, Hosanna, deliver us now, urgently, earnestly. The psalmist now moves from proclaiming what God has done and looking back at what he's done. You see the switch? For them in the past to of what petitioning God urgently to continue to give them success in the future. And he says it twice to emphasize. See, it builds. Save us, we pray. And now we pray, give us success. He builds on it to emphasize the urgency behind that. And they petition God this way because they recognize their full reliance upon him if they were going to have deliverance. They had no hope of relying on themselves. And loved ones, the truth is this. You and I have no hope of relying on ourselves either. You can try, really. But I would ask you this question, if that's you here today. Hey, how's that working for you? We weren't meant to be our own foundation. Talk about pressure. Now think about this. Think about what just happened here. Put yourself in the psalmist's shoes. You've just seen God answer your prayer and deliver you in a supernatural way. And you're fairly confident that the Lord's with you. You've just seen God answer your prayer. Okay? Now what does immediately the psalmist go back to right after he sees God answer? Urgency. Dependency. Reliance. But let's tell the truth here. We're in church. We can't lie. Let's tell the truth. Ready? Would you be more tempted in that moment when you see God answer? Just think back. Think back. Would you be more tempted in that moment when you've seen God answer prayer and you're like, wow, thanks, Lord, thanks. Would you be more tempted in that moment to press into him with greater humility and dependency and reliance and urgency upon him? Listen. Or would you be more tempted to, in pride, cool off your prayers a bit and begin the subtle shift back into self-reliance in thinking, okay, God did that, but I got this now. I got this. Thanks, God. I'll call you when I need you again when I'm desperate. What is it more for you? I was so convicted by that this week. We beg God for the deliverance. We ask him to answer prayer. And then he does. And then we just have this subtle shift. Not pressing in with greater dependency and urgency upon him. We have this subtle shift back into self-reliance. And most of us, loved ones, if we're honest, will say that after we see God work, we subtly begin to lose our urgency and sense of our dependency upon him until the next time we're facing a trial and all of our other options have run out. That's where most of us are. And it's a cycle like this, and this came this morning, so I wish I had a slide for it, but I don't. It just came this morning in the message review. We see God's deliverance, and then that leads us to, after a little bit, our eyes getting off the Lord, which leads to distraction, deliverance, eyes get off the Lord, leads to distraction, and then after that, distraction with our eyes continuing to be off, the God, off God and relying on ourselves leads to desperation. You see the cycle? Deliverance, then, okay, I saw him do that. Now I'm back, I forget that, and now I'm back here. Distraction leads to desperation, which then leads us to getting our eyes back on God, which leads to dependency, 
and deliverance. Just look at the book of Judges. That's what it is. That's exactly, there's nothing new under the sun. We should not be surprised by any of this. But instead of now slipping into self-reliance and prayerlessness, the psalmist, see what he does? He goes the opposite. He ramps up the urgency and dependency behind his request. And loved ones, this is the cry of one who recognizes his foundation is in the Lord. This is the cry of it. Why? Because here it is. See it on the screen. A right recognition of God will always fuel increasing reliance on him. A right recognition of God will always fuel an increasing reliance upon him. You see, God's purpose, we have to understand this this morning, God's purpose in responding to us is never for us to lose our reliance on him. God's purpose for responding to us in that trial, the day-to-day as our foundation, is never so we'll lose our reliance on him. It's just the opposite. God responds to us so we can learn to rely on him. As we look back and see what he's done, as the psalmist did, and say, God delivered me through that. Yes, God is my foundation here. I am fully relying on him in this moment just as much. came this week to sum it up you'll see it on the screen God's deliverance is always meant to increase our dependence on him God's deliverance is always meant to increase our dependence on him it's never so we will grow apathetic it's never so we will slip into prayerlessness God delivers us for our dependence upon him to say I'm your foundation I'm your only hope call out to me watch what happens Yes, Lord, may it be so. So, begs the question, who or what are you relying on today? Where is your reliance right now? In that trial, maybe that you're going through, in that sickness, in that situation, but not just in the trial. How about how you're going to approach going to work tomorrow? Who's your reliance on? Your strength on? When you're parenting and you're tired and you don't think you could go out again, and you're so prone to slip into impatience or, or anger, where's your strength right then? Is your, are we aligning our lives on the cornerstone, the foundation of God, relying on his strength? What is our urgency directed towards? What is the urgency of our pursuit directed towards? And I'll tell you, we say, how do I tell? Two main things. If you're wondering what you're urgently pursuing, just look at your bank account and your day planner. That'll give you a good indication of what you're urgently pursuing right now. Or who. Your bank account, your day planner. Because here's the reality. To sum it up, you'll see it on the screen. The urgency with which we pursue something. Ready? The urgency with which we pursue something is a clear picture of the reliance that we have on it. If we're relying on money as our foundation, get ready to start burning the candle on both ends. If we're relying on our kids' behavior to give us our foundation, get ready for a lot of impatience and frustration. The urgency with which we pursue something is a clear picture of the reliance that we have on it. 
And I'm just going to give a little spoiler alert, church. Ready? A little spoiler alert. Nothing else you try to rely on will satisfy or save you. It just, it, it will bottom, you can try. It will bottom out every time. Guaranteed. Because the truth is this. The truth is this. This is a humbling truth. The pride of our flesh will press us to pursue a reliance on anything else but God. Our sinful flesh, it, that's its default. Did you ever realize that? Why do we need to renew our minds in the word of God every day? Because our flesh's default is to go away from him. It's to pursue a reliance on anything else that is him. Because you have to understand, your flesh and mine want independence from him. It wants to be independent. And this is why, loved ones, it is crucial we ask him for the supernatural strength to humble ourselves before him as our foundation each day and ask that our reliance would be on him alone in the situations that we face. And here's the reality. He promises to answer us all the time in his time and his way. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of the Lord, that at the due time... He will exalt you. The safest place for you to be in that trial is under the mighty hand of the Lord. Know that today. Don't try to jettison yourself out with a quick fix savior. It's a season. At the due time, he will exalt you. And I know, loved ones, some of you may be in situations right now where it's painful and it's hurting you and you're filled with fear and doubt and worry and I would say this when God is your salvation you have one that you can rely on in his strength and he promises that he will give you everything you need for that to get through not just to get through but to worship him through it because he's good his love is unbreakable and he loves you so much he will see you through that's the safest place for you to be I love how Pastor Andrew Murray, a South African minister, put it this way. He said, true humility, you'll see it on the screen, true humility is the place of, here it is, entire dependence on God. True humility. It is the root of all virtues because it alone takes the right attitude before God and allows him as God to do all. That's awesome to do all. It is simply the sense of entire nothingness. Yeah, real simple, Andrew. (laughs) It is simply the sense of entire nothingness which comes when we see how truly God is all and in which we make a way for God to be all. Yes. Yes. Our Dependency is always the catalyst for God's deliverance. Our dependency is always the catalyst for God's deliverance. James 4, 6, God will oppose the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When God is your salvation, you will recognize him as your foundation. You will rely on him in your situation. And as you do these, by the power of the Holy Spirit, as you humble yourself under him, 
you can't help but respond to him with adoration. You will respond to him with adoration. Look at verse 26. Blessed is he. There it goes. It went proclamation, petition, and now we're back to proclamation or worship. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. See, after petitioning God for his continued support, the psalmist moves on to state that the man whose foundation is in the Lord has God's blessing upon him. The man or woman whose foundation is in the Lord has God's blessing upon them. They are living their lives by the power of the Holy Spirit in the wisdom of God and aligning them to him in the things he promises to bless. And it doesn't mean you're going to have full garages and lots of banking. That's called the prosperity gospel and that's an outright lie. But it does mean that God's blessing is upon that person whose foundation is in him. And look what he goes on to say, 27, 28. The Lord is God and has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God. I will give thanks to you. You are my God. See that declaration? Isn't that awesome? You are my God. And I will extol you. See, after seeing God's deliverance of him, the psalmist makes a final declaration, indeed the greatest declaration he could ever make of faith, that the Lord was God and there was no other. Yes. Is that your declaration today? Does your life show that declaration? In the trial? and in the day-to-day, in your bank book, and in your day planner? Does it show that your declaration is the Lord is God and has authority over that? You see, in verse 27, he says, uh, the Lord's God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. The Hebrew there for light means the light of his face. Isn't that beautiful? Or the symbol of his presence with his people. In the victory God has given him, the Lord has made his light, his face, his presence to shine upon us. And he goes on to say in 27, back half, bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horn of the altar. What's the festal sacrifice? Well, here it is. This was the sacrifice that the people made at the end of their pilgrimage that marked God's deliverance of them from the hands of their enemies. So they're coming up to Jerusalem, open the gates of righteousness. They come to the outer courtyard of the temple and he says, bind the sacrifice. And here's what it is. You'll see it on the screen here. A sacrificial lamb was bound and placed on that bronze altar in the outer court of the temple in Jerusalem. A sacrificial lamb was bound and placed on that altar to signify God's deliverance of his people and victory over his enemy. And the the picture here of the sacrificial lamb which led them to respond and worship and extol, verse 28, the Lord. 
The picture here of the lamb signified God's deliverance of his people in this battle, but it points us to another lamb that would be bound and sacrificed to bring God's deliverance for his people for all time over a greater enemy than what the Israelites were facing that day, the enemy of sin and death. And it was the lamb of God himself, Jesus Christ. The Son of God, through whom God has made a way for us to find our salvation in him as we repent of our sin and confess as Lord. He is the one, literally loved ones, he is the one every part of this psalm is pointing to. You say, well, well, how? Well, let's just take a look. I made a chart for us this week. Verse 20, remember it says, this is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. Jesus Christ is the gate. Image in Psalm 118, he's the gate. Verse 20. And the picture of Christ, John 10, 9. Jesus says, I am the door. The Hebrew word for door there is gate. Cool, eh? He says, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. Awesome. Verse 22 says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. We've looked at this earlier, Acts 4.11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Verse 21 of Psalm 118 says, I thank you that you've answered me and have become my salvation. Well, guess what? Jesus Christ is our salvation. Look at Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You can try. You can try a lot of other religions. You can go. It's not going to do it. There is one name. Verse 26 says this. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, Jesus Christ is the one who comes in the name of the Lord and is coming in his name. Look at Matthew 23, 39. For I tell you, Jesus says, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And loved ones, that day is coming soon. Are we living our lives in the urgency that that truth demands? It is coming sooner than it has ever been in human history right now. August 27th, 2017. Verse 27 in Psalm 118 says this, the Lord is God, he has made his light to shine upon us. Guess what? Jesus is the light. Look at John 8, 12. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, you will not walk in darkness. That is the picture of sin and death. You will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Come home. Verse 27 goes on to say, bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. Jesus was the festal sacrifice. John 129, John the Baptist exclaims, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Isn't that amazing? And lastly, 
verse 29 says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he's good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Guess what? Christ is the picture of God's steadfast love. Romans 5.8 says this, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There it is, loved ones. There's the cornerstone. There's the Savior. See, Christ's death was for our deliverance. Through him alone, God will become our salvation. And if you're here, and I just want to speak to you for a moment, if you're here and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, will you do that today? Is today the day you'll stop running and trying to build a foundation that will not and cannot last on anyone or anything else? Will today be the day that offer is for you. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to say, well, I have to live rightly. For... No, no, no. Jesus saw you right where you are. He sees you right now just as he saw me. And he says, I want you. I want to be the light inside of you. And believers, if you're here and you've confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, three things. Do you still recognize him? as your foundation does your life show it in all areas start with one does your life show that Jesus Christ is your foundation your cornerstone do you rely on him in your situations not just in the trial when you're desperate but in the day to day reliance on the strength of the Lord and humility and dependency before him Do you rely on him? And thirdly, are you responding to him in adoration every day for this? Are you responding or has it grown stale for you? Has it grown too familiar for you? Has it grown too all just head knowledge for you? Are you still passionate about him, church? He's the same Does it still fuel us to live with the urgency? To know that he's coming soon? Are you passionate about him? Are you willing to lay your life down for him however he asks in whatever area? Hey, loved ones, he's worth it. He's worth it. And that chart's gonna stay up there. But there is absolutely no better way that we can respond in adoration right now to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf than through the Lord's Supper. This is also known as communion. And communion is a time to remember Christ's death and and how he suffered and died so that you and I may receive forgiveness of sin when we repent of our sin and confess him as our Lord and Savior. That we may walk in freedom and new life in him. Isaiah 53, 4-5 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
our sin. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his stripes, we are healed.